Maybe Jesus is not your king this morning. Maybe you think he's a fictitious character. Maybe you think that you don't worship any god. You don't have any idols, even as we've just sung. To have no gods before him, their thrones must fall. Scripture makes it clear to us that we are all worshippers of one kind or another. We either know and worship the true and living God, or we find other things to worship. And that, according to God's word, is uncomfortable. But it is truth. And we're going to explore uh, that this morning as we look at the Beatitudes. Now I've entitled this series, The Be-Attitudes. The Be-Attitudes. Who we are to be as Christians. We could say who Christ is. Because when Christ comes and speaks, he speaks with authority, he reveals who he is, he reveals the heart of God. And the call is for people to come to God, not only for salvation, but also to find new life, new identity, to become the person that God would have you be. And as we read these Beatitudes, they're not platitudes. They're not wishful thinking. They're describing the character of a true follower of Christ. That's why this is entitled The Be Attitudes. This isn't for specially sanctified people, pastors, or, or saints of old, or, or special people. It's for anyone who dares to call Christ Lord and seek to follow him in spirit and in truth. During the course of the sermon, there'll be opportunities to read texts of scripture. So I'm going to need some help. All right. If you would like to read scripture from the front this morning, all right, make sure you've got a nice clear voice. Make sure you're tall enough that this microphone will pick your voice up. All right. But there'll be a couple of opportunities, all right, as we go through, and I'll let you know when that is. I've entitled the sermon this morning "Spiritual Poverty Replaced by Heavenly Riches." Spiritual poverty replaced by heavenly riches. Okay, I'm not going to explain all of that right away. We'll get there. I wonder what you make of Jesus. I'm speaking to the, to the children as well as the adults. What do you make of Jesus? At the core of who we are as Christians is Christ. Jesus himself. And so what we make of him is key. It is the key. After Jesus' resurrection, when he rose from the grave, as he said he would, three days after dying on the cross, sometime later, one of his disciples, by the name of Thomas, saw Jesus. And he was able to touch Jesus, Jesus' hands, and his side, which bore the healed crucifixion wounds, the wounds from the nails and the wound from the spear. And Thomas, seeing that, having seen and heard of the death of 
his Lord, exclaimed, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, when he saw Jesus. But what do you say? Do you have that conviction? Do you have that belief? Who is Jesus to you? And what impact does he have on your life? In both our services today, we'll be exploring Jesus as a teacher. We'll be listening to his teaching. But is Jesus only a teacher? What difference does it make if Jesus is more than a teacher? If Jesus is the God who made us, should we listen to him? Amen. Thank you. So I'm restarting uh, this series for family services uh, um, that I'm leading by considering Jesus' teachings in what are called the Beatitudes, as I've said. Who knows what a beatitude is? Who can tell me what a beatitude is? What does it mean? Is it one of those religious words that we've now just forgotten what it means? Well, it is a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because we generally only see it as, as a heading in our Bibles when we get to Matthew 5. And it says, the beatitudes... Well, according to the dictionary, beatitude is a noun, which means it's a describing word, which means the complete happiness that comes from being blessed by God. The complete happiness that comes from being blessed by God. That's what the beatitude means. So if you're a Christian here this morning, and you know what it means to follow Christ, you know what it means to receive his forgiveness and his righteousness through the cross, then you have that complete happiness that comes from being blessed by God. Or at least you ought to, all right? You ought to have that. And so this list of Beatitudes, as we go through it steadily, we should be able to say, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Yep. God has, has taught me that truth. He has made me aware of that. And it delights my soul. Jesus gives us nine beatitudes. Nine ways that we're supremely blessed by God. And so do you think that we should find out what they are? It sounds like a good idea to me. Let's find out what these beatitudes are. We're going to consider the first one of them today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You will also find the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6, but we're going to look at Matthew's account of the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying... Notice it's the disciples that came to him and this teaching is going to his disciples. And Jesus said, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus says a lot of strange countercultural things. How much of a great news statement is that? To go out to the world and say, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. Is that the kind of feel-good message that the world likes to hear? Well, the world is telling us that we shouldn't be, the last thing we should be is poor in spirit, right? We've got to be upbeat, we've got to be people pleasers, we've got to be winners, we've got to be victorious, we've got to have our boats floated continually, right? That's what the world wants, that's what the world tells us that we're to be if we're to be truly happy. But Jesus is telling us, in order for us to be supremely happy in God, we're to know that we're poor in spirit. Right? That's something fundamental about us as human beings. In these Beatitudes, Jesus is helping people, he's helping us to understand the character of God and the character of a true believer. Someone who has truly come to trust and rely on Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And so to help us understand today's beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, we're going to look at three other texts. And the first of these is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And I'd like two readers, if possible, to read six verses each, all right, from this text. Luke 12, we're going to read 22 through to 34, six verses each. So two volunteers to come and read from the front. Brought in a demon-possessed man who was blind. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's Matthew. Oh, that's Matthew, that's why. That was Matthew's Gospel. There we go, look. 22 to 28, okay? Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God, God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Grow, consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of this. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? All you of little faith. Thank you. Thank you very much. Paul, if you could come and read 29 
to 34. We've got scripture here. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that you will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Amen. Thank you very much to our capable readers. So thinking about poverty, thinking about being poor in spirit, I want us to consider uh, three G's. Firstly, getting, getting. Secondly, giving. And thirdly, grace. Getting, giving, and grace. In our world today, in fact, in the world always, since the fall of humankind in the Garden of Eden, this world and each of us, in our natural state, the way that we're born, is consumed by what we can get, to a greater or lesser extent. Some people are real go-getters, who are just insatiable uh, and hungry and greedy. But the reality is, is that we all, in our natural state, um, are concerned with what we can get. This is why advertisements are so appealing. Advertisements on TV, on the internet, uh, in magazines. Because there are always things that we want. Things to delight us, things to make our lives more comfortable. We are concerned with what we can get. But God is primarily concerned not with what we can get, not with the material comforts of life, but with what we really need. And that is what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. That is what predominantly Jesus is talking about uh, when he teaches in every situation. Jesus is concerned above all things with what we really need. And so he tells us not to be concerned about the little things. He doesn't say those things are not important. He doesn't say, don't be charitable and, and help others who are really in material need. He doesn't say that. But he says those are not the most important things. He says here in the text we've just heard that God will provide what we really need to survive. We shouldn't be worried about that. But more importantly, we need to seek God and his kingdom. We must desire for him to be king of our lives. The Lord desires to give his kingdom to his children, Jesus says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the, the kingdom. Verse 32. 
As we've heard, the Lord's kingdom is, in the end, more about what we give away than what we receive. Knowing that by giving, we find we have a great store of treasure in heaven that will last forever. So the challenge for us, the question for us is, what are we preoccupied by? Is it getting? Is it building up a great store of things here in this life? Because really, that will only last us so long. And there are other lessons we can point to in Scripture about the futility of building storehouses, the futility of lining our own pockets, because sooner or later we will be called on to make an account for them and how we've lived. So where are we storing up treasure? Is it here on earth or in heaven with Jesus? Are we more concerned with getting and are we worried and preoccupied about that? Or have we received the gift from heaven? Let's look at another text to help us understand more about giving. Luke chapter 21 and the first four verses. I'd like to have one more reader, please. One more reader who hasn't yet read. Four verses this time. From Luke 21. I will zero in if someone won't come. Dwayne, bless you, come on over. Thank you. Luke 21, first four verses. Uh, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This widow, out of her poverty, put in more than these rich benefactors, these rich givers. There we see an example of a humble and generous old woman, a poor widow who had lost her husband. In Israel, to lose your husband would be disastrous for many women. If they didn't have any children to take care of them, or if their children were not ready to care for their widowed mother. Think of the elderly today. How many of them are well cared for by their children? It's much easier, much more convenient to put our parents in an old people's home when the time comes than to labour, uh, taking care for them. But here in ancient times there were no nursing homes. It was the family's duty to care for their elders. But there was certainly no guarantee that that would happen. Many at the time of Jesus used to make excuses why they could not even religious-sounding excuses. We've heard Jesus' declaration in the Beatitude that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, I mentioned, didn't I, Luke's version of the Beatitudes, Luke chapter 6. And there in Luke 6, 
verse 20, we're told, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So which is it? Is it those who are poor in spirit? Or is it those who are poor, generally? Is it the case that Jesus simply loves the poor? Well, God is concerned for our well-being and provision, as we learned from chapter 12, when Jesus says, Do not be anxious for the things that you eat, and so forth. God is concerned about those things. But the priority is a right attitude before God. Our beatitudes, the way we are, our character. And we ought to be concerned first with accepting our spiritual poverty and our helplessness before God. Accepting the fact that we are spiritually poor. Contrary to the world's teaching, ah, we're good people. All that matters is that we're relatively good people. We're not convicted criminals. We're not on the sex offenders register. We're basically good people. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are, each and every one of us, rebels against God's holy law and his truth. We are spiritually poor and helpless before God. It's only then that we will have the viewpoint that we need. It's only then that we will see our true need as sinners in need of grace, in need of God's forgiveness. And we see this perfectly demonstrated in this poor widow we've heard about. This, this lady who has lost her husband and doesn't have much to live on, she comes to the temple to make her offering and humbly put in two small, small copper coins into the offering box. What does this demonstrate? Does this demonstrate that religious institutions are looking to squeeze every last drop out of people who go along? No. It demonstrates her willingness to put God first. To acknowledge her complete an utter dependence on God for her life and salvation. That there is something far more fundamental and important about life than how wealthy she is. Whether or not she has done her duty before God. You see, we too find, no matter how well off we may be, that when out of our spiritual poverty we give everything we have our entire lives to Jesus that we will then receive all the blessings of the kingdom of heaven the eternal kingdom where there is no longer any loss no longer any corruption or unfairness only blessedness True happiness with Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. And so my question to you is, have you received this knowledge? Have you received the grace from God to understand that you are spiritually poor? And thereby that you can receive the blessings of the kingdom 
If so, what will you give to Jesus today? What do you have that Jesus wants today? I've mentioned grace. That's my final point. I'm going to explore that now in greater detail in this final point. You see, friends, throughout the story of the people of God, from before Abraham, the Lord spoke to his people and he told them about himself and about themselves, about the flaws in humankind and how we need God to heal us and to walk with us if we're to succeed. The sad story about many of the Israelites, the Jews, was that they took what God had said and made a religion that was all about following rules. And that by following those rules, they could become good people and right with God. That's what they thought. And that's what many people think, that that's all religion is. It's just a collection of rules, a collection of habits that you just need to tick the boxes and then you're good to go. But unfortunately, this is a fatal misunderstanding of what God means. The Apostle Paul himself came from that religious background and understanding. And in Romans chapter 9, verses 30 to 33, he says the following, Romans 9, 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, who did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, things that they could do. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. A rock of offence, a stone of stumbling, who is a he? Notice. Who is this he spoken of here? this stumbling stone, this rock of offence. Well, of course, it's Jesus, God's Son, the one who speaks with unique authority, the authority of God. Why is Jesus an offence? You may be sitting there thinking, praise God, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. There is none so beautiful as Jesus. But that's after the event. That's after you've realised your spiritual poverty. That's after you've subjected your pride and humbled yourself before God. Jesus is a rock of offence because in our pride and our self-confidence as human beings, we find it offensive that we are unable to save ourselves. That the truth is we are really not good people. And we see that offence in the the New Testament when Jesus spoke with authority and he spoke with that conviction, telling people to, to repent 
For now is the day of salvation. Many people abandoned him. Many people said, sorry, I'm a good person. I don't need you, Jesus. I pay my tithes and my offerings. But in the Beatitudes, friends, Jesus is saying just that. That we must be poor in spirit. We must see our need for a saviour. Our need for God. We read that, didn't we, in today's Beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, right? Well, at the end of that whole section in Matthew's Gospel, which is famously known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' big sermon on the Mount, big uh, section of teaching. At the end of that section, the Apostle Matthew says this. I'll give you the reference. Matthew 7 and verse 28, 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now their scribes and religious teachers of the law were not leading the people to God and to true righteousness. Because nobody can be righteous before God simply by obeying rules. Jesus makes it clear in the Sermon of the Mount that nobody can keep God's holy law sufficiently to be right before God. So what are we to do? We who are poor in spirit. We must come to realise our inability to save ourselves due to our sinfulness that affects every aspect of our lives, our thought life, the words we say, and the things that we do, whether in public or in private. Each and every one of those areas is affected by sinfulness that causes offence to God and which angers him. Friends, if we come to recognise our spiritual poverty before God and that he is a God full of grace, a God who loves us and made a way for us to be forgiven through the cross of Jesus, then we will be truly blessed. We will find grace through faith, which is God's free gift to us. If we understand that, then Jesus is the best teacher. Because he has come from heaven to make us righteous and to open the floodgates of heaven to pour out all his true blessings on us, to fit us for eternity with him. Not just a flash in the pan here in this world with the things that will tarnish, the things that will be stolen, the things that will evaporate tomorrow. Let's look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who tells us what we really need to understand. That unless and until we come to him, we will remain spiritually poor. 
But in him, we will find grace that leads to eternity. Let's bow our heads in prayer.